Hello, Moving Your Energy Differently community. Today, I have the honor of talking about the importance of using effective communication in the field of medicine. Dr. Joan Stroud is a family doctor who has been practicing medicine in New York City. She invited me into her home and we talked honestly about her field and the importance of communication for both herself and her patients and how we as patients should prepare when we visit our family doctors. You may choose to take some notes on this one. So moving your energy differently, here we go. So without further ado, here is Dr. Joan Stroud. How are you, Doc? Hey, Carrie. Thank you so much for inviting me. Oh. You know, I have this conversation today. It's, this is it, really, I'm excited too. Yeah, it's my it's my pleasure. Um, first, tell us a little bit about you, uh, your your story. Uh, you are a family practitioner, uh, physician, right, and in New York City. And you've been doing this for 26 years. Right. 26 years. Uh, so how did you get started? And, and uh, I saw some of your, your quotes on social media, quotes about your goals. And tell us a little bit about that. So, um, I mean, I can start about why I became interested in medicine. I mean, I could start that way. Um, I actually uh, grew up in the Lower East Side um, of New York. Um, I'm the youngest of, of four daughters. And I actually, um, there's no one else who went into medicine in my family. Um, I, was, I became interested in medicine um, when my mom became very, very ill. Uh, she actually died in three months um, and uh, found out she had metastatic breast cancer. So I was actually at the hospital every day for three months. And the reason why I decided to do medicine is I could not understand why my mother would allow herself to be so ill and not tell someone or someone not diagnose it. Mm -hmm. So I just could not understand it. Um, How old I, were you? I was 15 when my mother died. So um, it was just, I decided to become, actually I love working with my hands. I, I like doing a lot of crafts. So I actually wanted to become a medical lab technician because I, again, was interested in the sciences but wanted to somehow incorporate creative arts. So I wanted to work with my hands. So, um, but a friend of mine told me how boring <laughs> that profession would, could become after a while because you're doing the same routines over and over again. And I, I'm very social, so I didn't want to work with people. <laughs> and then I decided to become a nurse. And one of my uh, oldest sister's dearest friends, who uh, I love him to death, um, he actually is now deceased, said, Joan, you are too stubborn, and you don't take orders well, so you'll not be a good nurse. You should be a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> and he was right, because I don't take orders too well. I have a very... <laughs> Once I put my mind to things, I'm pretty, pretty, it's pretty hard for me to move or for people. I don't like, like to take direction. I like to give direction. 
So that's when I realized, well, yeah, why not? Why don't I become a physician? And it was a battle to get there, but that's what I eventually did. So uh, how old were you when you decided to, like you were 15 when your mother passed. Right. So how old were you when you said, okay, did you go into nursing? I actually was a science major and had great difficulty getting through undergraduate school. Um, I, I have to say the impact of my mother's death was very, it, it really stopped me for many years. I felt very, um, I was unbalanced and, and really felt very, um, I, I just did not have things together. So I had to really find my way. Um, so I was a science, I was a biology major. Oh, oh, okay. And never finished, I took me 12 years to finish undergraduate school. So I did not go straight through. And I actually had to... 12 years 12 to finish... 12 years to undergraduate school. 12 years. How long does an average person take to go through well, graduate school? Well, undergrad is four years. So I took me 12 years back, forth, back, forth. Back and forth? Yes. 12 years. You, you, you would leave and then... Come back. Come back. Leave, come back, leave, come back. I, would, I thought that I could work, you know, make enough money if I just worked. And, of course, I would find jobs to... I hated. Um, never made enough money, so I'd go right back to school and come back, go back to school. So Where did you, you get the money to go to school? Um, I actually worked most of the time. Oh. And, actually, I did get some loans. I did get some school loans. Um, and then my father actually helped me also. Now, this is in graduate school. Uh, right. Okay. Well, this is to finish undergraduate school. Finish undergraduate school? To finish undergraduate school. Yes. Oh. I did not go straight through. It was very difficult for me. For those four years, it took you 12? 12. 12. That's right. I would stop, go back, stop, go back. But I was determined. What made you, yeah, mm -hmm. what made you... Um, very honestly, I worked horrible jobs. They were me medial, um, um, you know, they were low-rage, medial jobs where I never had any power. I worked a million hours and never had any money. And I decided, well, if I'm going to work this hard, I, I need to make an income. So my motivation was just ter having terrible jobs. I hated working a million hours and getting paid very little. Yes. So I finally put my foot down that I was no longer going to just work three different jobs. I was going to get a profession. Now, get a profession. Most people get a profession that is, oh, okay, uh, I'll be an engineer, I'll be a worker uh, right. for someone else or what. Right. You said, no, I'll, I'm going to be a doctor. Right. Why? And once again, I know... Your family said, uh, well, be a nurse. Right. <laughs> but you said doctor. Right. You are an African-American female, and you said, oh, I'm going to be a doctor? Yeah, I did. That's uh, yeah, why not? high on the, on, on the list of careers, and you have to have work ethics and intelligence, a mm -hmm. bio major. Right. Why did you, did you pick medicine or did medicine pick you? I think I chose medicine. 
I, I wanted to really, I wanted to save people. Mm-hmm. I, I thought that I, could, I should have saved my mother. So I wanted to save people. And I felt that, um, uh, and I liked helping people. It made me feel good to help people. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I think I became like a master helper. I wanted to be the master helper. And why, why not become the master helper by becoming a physician? So that role suited me at that time. I wanted to be the master helper. And you became that. I became a master helper. What is the difference between one family practitioner doctor Mm. and another? Mm -hmm. Is there a difference? Is the medical field filled with doctors who care tremendously about their their patients. Now, I asked that question, but I also have read up on you in that you have gotten the, let me see if I can get it right here, you were awarded the Patient's Choice Award a number of times and this this award only goes to the 1% of all doctors in the US and you were given this award in other words patients <laughs> say that your communication skills with them is beyond what the norm is. Why? Yeah. I'm a good listener. I, you have to be able to listen to be, be a good communicator. I, I can truly say that I... So I'm going to backtrack just a little bit. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons why I was able to have the discipline, because that was my biggest issue, I didn't have the discipline to pursue medicine before or any kind of, um, uh, you know, um, organized education, was I actually became a Buddhist. I actually started chanting. Wow. So Buddhism taught me discipline. When? When did you start? And in what, uh, during the process? I started Buddhism in 19, I started chanting in 1985, and I actually went to med school in 1989. So 85 was really a very pivotal pivotal year for me because that's when I learned the skills to put set your mind, stay focused and even if it's difficult, just because it's difficult does not mean it's not going to happen and that's the part where people get scared, if it's not easy, people assume that you shouldn't pursue it and that's not were, were true. You, were you told that as an African American female? It wasn't that I was told, I think that was modeled to me more than told a lot of people just gave up. Either it was usually it was just never had the money. It was usually never having the money, oh. or you weren't smart enough. You know all those things that went through. I don't say specifically me, but just in general, that's what was modeled. If it wasn't easy, or you weren't smart or pretty enough, you could yes. do those things. So uh, Buddhism taught me how to discipline and train my mind. So when I became a Buddhist, that's when I was able to train my mind and not be swayed when things became difficult. 
were you looking for this tool in which to be able to focus more? Were you, are you the type of person that says, I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to communicate in a certain way to myself differently. And this might be the, the track. I would say that I've always been a seeker and I always wanted to communicate with the universe. I'll put it that way. How to have clear communication and listen to what your what we call our, our, our enlightened self says to really listen and process it and follow it. So yes, I've always been a seeker. I've, I've done many other types of religious practices. Um, however, this form of religious practice taught me the discipline and also the persistence on pursuing the things that I wanted. So yes, I've always wanted to communicate with the universe. Whatever people use, whatever term that people use the universe, God, Allah, you know, whatever you want to call it, Buddha, whatever you want to call it, I've always wanted to seek out a high, a, what we say, a higher truth. What did you want to communicate to the universe? Now, I, I saw uh, a quote from you that said, uh, you work with a patient with, and their families to optimize their health in a whole holistic way. Right. That and, I don't want this to escape, you also say, uh, my goal is to help people activate their own healing spirit. Exactly. That's what you say right. uh, on social media right. that struck me. It would activate their own healing spirit. Is that what we're talking about here? Absolutely. To communicate? Absolutely. Because um, to go into medicine, I think you have to be very, um, uh, how can I say it, altruistic. I think altruistic. you still have to have a part that's very altruistic, that a part that really wants to help people. But I no longer, I had to go beyond trying to save people. People have their own healing spirits. So what you do is you give them enough information and I pray for my patients, believe it or not. I send them prayer. I do. I hope that they're the best they're ever going to be. I hope that, that whatever information I give them, they can utilize it to the best of their ability so that they can move on their own healing path. The healing energy is not through me, it's through them. So whatever information, whatever prayer I send them, I hope they can utilize it. There's some people who carry who will always need to be sick. I don't care what information, what medical information I give them. Their lives will always, it works for them. So I, I can't, what, what you, I can't save that? those people. What, what do you mean by that? People, I have, I have that, many patients who, will only, who, who need to be sick. Who need to be sick? It works for them, absolutely. How? 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 Give me an example. It gives them attention and it gives them a personality. Their whole personality is about their ailment. Otherwise, they would be invisible. They would have nothing to say. They wouldn't have anything to say to anybody. Their hope, and we've all come to those people as soon as you talk to them, they talk about what's wrong with them. Yes. It gives them something to talk about. It gives them a personality. It gives them um, something uh, that makes people empathize with them. 
Um, but some people will need that for whatever reason their path on this earth is to be ill. And it works for them. I'm not saying that we won't fall ill, we do. What I'm saying is there's some people who, who need to because it gives them a sense of identity. And, and I had to recognize that I could not theoretically save those people, but what I could do is have conversations with them. So in these conversations with yeah. your patients, how, how many patients do you have? I have approximately. Um, in my, well, in New York, um, New York is, is very um, special because to do family medicine in New York is really difficult. We have a huge population here. So I have, in my panels, the estimated total is about 3,000 people. Estimated. That's estimated. 3,000. 3,000 3, documented people under my name. Yes. Right now. Right now. Yep, 3,000. So, um, realistically, could I be available to all 3,000? Of course not. But what I do try is to, whoever I'm seeing that day, I'm as present as I can be that day. Can I be, as soon as you call me, am I available? I probably can't because I have <laughs> 2,000 other people. Um, but... What I try to do is I pray to be as present as possible for that day. Because all we have is the day. How many How many patients do you take care of? Do you... Per day? Yeah, per day. Uh, at least 20, 20 to 30. 20 to 30. Right. A day. A day. And it could be a multitude of things. I see children also. Oh, you see children? Mm -hmm. Well, Yeah, family families. medicine, we're from birth to death. So I have newborns, I have small children, I have, I have families who now their children are having families, so which is really great because now they're bringing me their children. So it's a, it's a real community that you develop over time. Are you doing what you thought you would be doing 26 years ago? Um, the way, well, no. The way that you're doing it, when you first started out 26 years ago, right. were you, with your, I guess you developed your goal of activating their, their healing energy, right. which I want to go back to, but did you, are you feeling now, uh, this is the way I should be working with patients, helping people. Is it the same as what you thought 26 years ago? I'm shocked that I'm still doing this 26 years later. You are? Yeah, I really am. That I even have the energy to continue to do it. Absolutely. I, I, I wasn't sure how long I could do it. But um, I'm actually shocked that I'm still doing it. Do you love it? I used to love it. Used to love it? I used to love it, yes. I used to love it. So uh, let me say this. Um, you know, we have different roles that we take on in life to do what we do. And my role, I remember I told you, I was the master helper. Okay. It worked for me helper. back then. You know, I was the young orphan 
girl who could have helped him, wanted to help everybody. So 26 years later, I'm not that anymore. And we, and we transition, we, we transform. We're never exactly where we were, hopefully, even a year ago. So I don't feel like I have to be the master helper anymore. What are you now? You know, for the first time, I'm, I'm happy to say I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I'm creating it as we go. I have no idea. I've, are, I've, you, are, you, are you happy? I am happy. And happy in your profession? I'm happy. Doing what you're doing? Currently, I am happy in my profession doing what I'm doing. Okay. Um, but I'm looking forward to pursuing many other other options. And you know my next question. Yeah. Which are? Um, I actually would, I want to pursue my creative side. I was, I've always been creative. I always love working with my hands. Um, I, I make jewelry. I want to actually go and learn how to blow glass. I know people say, are you crazy? Yeah, I want to go to learn how to blow glass. I love glass items and, and that sort of thing. I love artwork and artifacts. I want to learn how to do that. I actually did silversmithing, so I want to learn. I love working with my hands. Then it goes into you know, what I'm passionate about, side art, your side art projects. And how to do the side art project That's right. as you are doing your career. Exactly. You're you going to develop that side art a little bit? Uh, that's uh, been, a little bit. Uh, I can do a little bit. Um, the time commitment that I have right now makes it really difficult. Right. It's really hard for me to pursue that side of it. when I, I have a very heavy time commitment. Um, because I am still working in er yes. most days with patients. Yes. Um, so as I no longer have to work to that capacity, I actually will. That's my plan. I have a three to five year plan to three transition. To three plan. to five year plan, absolutely. Oh, okay. And so after three to five years, then you'll retire? Um, you know, people like saying retirement. You know, you can do all kinds of things. I can work a day or two and do nutritional classes. Okay. I can still, I can still work with patients in some capacity. Yes. It just won't be the intent every day. You know, Doctor Stroud, I have to talk to you now. Yes. <laughs> you know what yes. I mean? It does yes. Like, you know, I, I didn't call. You didn't call me back today. You know, it, it's not that. It, I'll just, it's going to transition to something new, and I'm hoping that I can train other, other new doctors, you know, other doctors to do this. You know, mm -hmm. it's a noble profession. Um, it's, it has, it's, it's actually been very profitable. It's been um, a wonderful um, vehicle for me to take care of my family. Um, however, I hope that other people can now do it. You know, I'm, I feel like I'm at, I'm at the tail end of this now. Are you successful? You know, you, you asked me that before, and I, what is the definition of success? I'm looking to you. Success, to me, is doing what you love. Completely, even if you don't get paid. Um, and also having, um, 
I think a community of people who care about you, who can support you, um, to know what you need, not just what you want. So I don't know. I have this different, this different levels of what success means to me. But what success to me right now is being independent enough so that I can pursue whatever I want. Am I there yet? No. Independently with finances. Finances, time. To me, financial freedom is, is time freedom for me. Time. It's time. So to me, success is having time that you can pursue what you want not just because you have to do it. So for right now, I have to do certain things. Mm -hmm. And so success to me is being able to just say, I'm just doing it because I want to, not because I have to. Mm -hmm. And I haven't gotten there yet. Let me ask you the question of, over your career, 26 years, getting these awards, have you and did you communicate effectively to get what you wanted? Have you communicate? Did you did you communicate to yourself and to the outside world the way you're looking back? Yeah. The way you could have, should have, uh, did? Do you look back and say, I? Communicated to myself and the outside world pretty darn good or not so good? I think I did pretty well. I do. Um, and Was I, it different from what other people do? How they communicate to themselves? I know you, you asked me a question about what's the difference between, I guess, me and other doctors. Right. I have some incredibly talented, committed doctors. So I don't really separate myself from those people. Um, what I do know is I know what my limitations are. And I'm, I'm confident enough to know what I do know. So mm -hmm. I don't have to pretend to patients anymore. And I think that's what they, that's what they, I think they, um, they're receptive is I tell them when I don't know when something's right. Yes. And I tell them honestly I don't know what it is. Mm -hmm. I don't have to pretend anymore. But a lot of people when you're first out of, Training, you're afraid to tell people you don't know. You're afraid to say, wow, I don't really know what that is. Because it's, you're supposed to be super smart and know everything. We couldn't possibly. The life and the body is so complex. I don't care how much medical science you do. There's no way that one person will know about everything. So if you come to that point where you realize you don't know everything and you admit it, Believe it or not, my patients actually are very receptive to that because I'm not lying to them. Mm -hmm. I'm as open and honest with them as possible. I know when there's something wrong. I know when I diagnose something correctly. I know when I have no clue, and I'm honest about it. So I think that's what people are receptive to is the fact that I no longer have to put a mask of I'm just the smartest thing ever, I know everything. That's impossible. I don't care how many awards you've won. I don't care what Ivy League school you've gone to. Mm -hmm. There's no way that you'll know everything. And if you if you don't know how to honestly tell patients that, then you're just you're you're just wearing the mask again. And they know you're lying. They'll come back and say, Doctor, I thought you know what you were talking about. <laughs> <laughs> 
They'll say, Doctor, I know he know what he was talking about. And I say, yeah, you're right. He didn't know what he was talking about. Because he just didn't admit I didn't know. But it, take, it takes years of just, you have to become confident with who you are, what you know. So I'm confident with I know what I don't know now. And I don't lie about it anymore. What about those people who say, uh, I, I, I want to do something, mm -hmm. but uh, I'm female? Oh, that, you can't use that anymore. Can't use it anymore. That's an old story. That is an old story. And here's, hopefully you're here in the United States. I'm not talking about other countries. Yeah. That is, we have, that is not true. Um, I can definitely tell you that whole um, uh, old uh, caricature of the young woman who doesn't have power, who doesn't know what she wants. That's not what we're being, what we're seeing modeled anymore, and it's incredibly empowering. I see women who are empowered much younger than I feel like I went back into my power about fifty. I think women lose power. I think we purposely give up our power when we're younger to so-called follow the mold, you know, you know, just to look more attractive. You know, you have to be, you know, really uh, mild-mannered and that sort of thing. And then after 50, you just say, I don't care anymore. And so I'm beyond that now. I really don't care anymore. Mm -hmm. So I think what's great is I'm talking to millennial women or young women who are completely self-expressed, completely empowered. And I'm so happy about that. Because it took me years to get to that point. Years to get to that point to regain my strength again, my power. Women give up power. And we're trained to do that. And so now I see these incredibly strong young women who say, no, I'm not doing that. I don't have to do it that way. I'm freaking dancing with joy. I'm dancing with joy. Yeah, period, at the end of that. You, yeah. <laughs> tell, <laughs> tell me uh, one story, if you can remember, a story that would explain your communication skill of maybe somebody who was one of your patients maybe off the charts and how you used your communication skills and probably Buddhist skills to diffuse the situation hmm, good question um, I actually have a recent um, there's a, a woman that I've worked with for many years. Um, I've known her an incredibly, incredibly talented, uh, educated woman who, who's had a lot of family um, tragedies. And um, she actually came and saw me recently. And the first thing she said was, you made me wait. You made, make me you wait? Make me wait. So, in medicine in New York is very different than medicine in Utah. Okay? You mean more, more people? Yeah. Yeah, right. okay. Quadruple. Okay. So, we say 9 o'clock, that means I'm probably, I got about two or three people in a 9 o'clock slot. Very honestly. I'm, we're behind as soon as we step foot in the door. Yeah. Because we have to add people based on what's happening. We have, what, over 8 million people in New York City? That's right. They have to be seen. So 
you say nine o'clock, I'm not going to be there at nine because I probably saw about two other people at nine. So I take books when I go to the doctor's offices because I expect to wait a little bit. It would be great to just go in and be seen, but it doesn't work out that way. We get phone calls. As soon as I step foot into the office, I have a phone call. I have to make a phone call because it's something that the lab or our imaging study is abnormal, so I have to stop and call people. So as much as I would like to be exactly on point and on time, it just does not happen because it's just too many things happening. So she said, you made me wait. And before I would have gotten really offended by that because I've had this really great relationship with this person. And I looked and I said, what's wrong? I said, what's wrong? And that was it. Completely diffused, going through so many things. Something, you know, has this issues with, you know, her children being older, not available anymore, you know, the empty nest syndrome going on. Just very, very emotional because now she no longer has to be the mom. She can just be the person again. And it completely got that this was not her. This is definitely, I've never had encounters like this with this person. There had to be something wrong. And we had the best visit ever. We hugged at the end, everything. So your communication of finding out and getting the other person to talk about maybe something, a challenge for her, that was the, the ticket and the most effective way to communicate at that time. Right. Asking her, are you, are you okay? Yeah. What's wrong? And letting her talk, right? While you have, have 20, twenty other people <laughs> out there. All right. <laughs> I, I, I don't exactly. want to. I don't want to take up your entire afternoon. Yeah. Uh, but uh, what should we, as patients, going to a family practitioner, family doctor? What questions? <laughs> should we have? I know we should have questions yeah. uh, in any type of communication. But what questions should we have for you when we first meet you in your office? Okay, gotcha. So again, practicing family medicine in New York is very different than practicing family medicine in another region of the United States. Uh, there are very few of us left. Whether old general practice doctors that no one sees anymore. We do everything. We do gynecologic exams. I used to do deliveries. I used to do prenatal care. I, I take care of children. I take care of families. I have people in wheelchairs. So the reality is family medicine is that old, that old family doctor that you used to go for for everything. In that being said, the vo we have a heart, large volume of patients, and there's not many of us. And as a woman of color, there's even fewer of us. So I became, I feel like a little bit like the great white hope. You know, I'm one of the few. And so the expectation was so huge that I actually, at for a point, didn't know that I could really um, deliver. 
So um, what I can say for people who first meet a new fan, number one, you want to find out how long they've been practicing. If they've been practicing more than 10 years, please ex assume that they have many patients. They have established patients. You're not going to be seen at nine. So if that's the expectation as soon as you step foot, or maybe they're at the tail end of their practice and they maybe, maybe don't have as many patients, sure, you may be in and out. But for a fully engaged family practice doctor in New York, we're probably the busiest primary care doctors in the city. So we just, I, what I do is say, please, if you don't have that day to really be patient, wait, don't go for the visit. You're going to be upset and exasperated. Because nine times out of ten, we had a baby with a fever who's running in. Something's come up with a patient that's maybe more of a priority. And you may have to wait a little bit. So I can say right off, if you go to first time and they're well-established, you know they're well-established, please be patient because you may not be seen exactly the time that you're scheduled. You may wait an hour. You may wait two hours. My cutoff is, I, I'm not waiting for anybody more than two hours. <laughs> That's just my thing. You wait more than two hours, it's too crazy, I would reschedule. Because whatever that day is happening, it's just too crazy. Don't even bother. You're going to be upset. You're going to be mad. It's not going to be a great initial, uh, but if you're waiting more than two hours, you probably should reschedule for maybe a first thing in the morning. Um, I wait for my dentist an hour and a half. I think she's awesome, but she has a lot of patience because she's awesome. So I wait for my dentist in at least an hour and a half. She's awesome, and I, I'm willing to wait. I fall asleep most of the time waiting for her. <laughs> but she's awesome. I've never had a bad visit when I finally get to see her. So that's my thing. Number two, the main thing you want to do is um, Please understand, with that weight, you're probably given a 30-minute slot. So if you're coming with a notebook full of stuff, you're not going to get it addressed. It's not going to happen. I've had people walk in with full notebooks of questions. That's a three-hour visit you're expecting. It's not going to happen. So. Come with two or three things you really feel like is a priority for you. Okay. Come with the, those two or three things you really feel like I need to get addressed today. The five other things that you have, you're going to have to make other visits for that. Whatever, I would say at least two, the most, and please tell them up front. I'm here today because I've had headaches for five months. I'm really worried about my headaches. That's what you're there for, for your headache. Don't tell them after you left the office. Oh, by the way, I forgot to tell you I've been having headaches. That is the most ex exasperating thing, but the most important thing that you came for, you didn't tell them from the beginning. Whatever those two or three things are most pressing to you, tell people right off the bat. Not after you've had all the niceties and the whole thing. I, this is why I'm here. I want these three things addressed. Could we work on these things? And then the five or eight other things that you have, you'll do those with your follow-up visits because you're, you're going to establish a relationship with the person. Now, I, I've read our, our, that blood mm -hmm. in your body mm -hmm. is one of the most important things to see what's going on in your right. body. Right. Is a blood test that 
important blood these tests, days? Um, well, just in general, it's, the, it's really the map of the body. Well, not really the map, but it is. It's the lifeblood of it's the body. Lot, yes. So, yes, there are a lot of things. I've diagnosed leukemias. I've diagnosed um, very serious illnesses through blood work. Yes. So, yes. Um, also, know ahead if you can get blood. Okay, because some people, usually with a physical, will say, come fasting. So, if it's a morning appointment, you probably will get your blood drawn. But if it's after 2, 3, 4 o'clock, a lot of times they have a, maybe the lab's not open, it's not available. Do not go fasting. Because all that's going to happen if you go into an afternoon appointment is just be angry because you didn't need anything. So most afternoon appointments, I do not recommend that patients fast. It's wait, wait, no, 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 I'm not getting this. Usually they say don't uh, eat, overnight, don't, don't eat, eat after eat midnight. At, don't eat after midnight. Well, guess what? Your appointment's at 4 p.m. That's impossible. You need to eat something. Unless you're waiting for surgery, there's no reason why you shouldn't have something. So I don't want, I don't ask them where, where I currently am employed. I please tell them if appointments are uh, a physical after two, please do not ask them to fast. So they can go ahead and eat. At eat something. Because you're just miserable. You're sitting oh, here okay. starving. And then okay. you're angry. You waited. Okay. You didn't get your blood drawn because whatever reason happened, you can't get your blood drawn. So I'm very clear that I tell wherever I am, where I am, don't have people fast for afternoon appointments. It makes no sense to me. If it's really that serious, they can come back one other morning and do a fasting. Okay. And plus, people have waited there, what, they haven't eaten for like nine hours? Are they going to be in the best mood? Oh. No, they're oh. miserable. They're biting head off. So, no, that. So, the two or three things that you really want off the top, if it's family medicine in New York City, you're going to wait. Often, unless they're brand new doctors, they've just started. If they just started, then they probably can take as many people as possible. But if they're established, well-established, especially family medicine in New York, you will wait. We take care of a lot of things. And then, um, and then fasting, you know, I'm very mindful of that. If people are, hung and are hungry, they're not going to be in the best mood. So, uh, again, that visit's not going to be great. Okay. Morning appointments, fine. You can fast. You can drink. High, make sure you're drinking water. Fasting does not mean you should not drink water before blood draw. You have to drink water because you want to be hydrated. Because mm. then it'll be difficult to take the blood. If you're dehydrated, oh. your veins collapse. Oh. And you cannot take the blood. So, Great only time you don't f drink water and fast is before surgery. Not before a, a general physical. You drink water, plenty of it. I, I said a few few minutes ago. Uh, I'll wrap this up with a couple, yeah, a yeah. couple of questions, and, and I. And Sorry. And, and, I, and I no, I've kept you uh, <laughs> a little longer than I. Than, right. But I have to ask this. Yeah. What's on the forefront of medicine that you've heard coming? Yeah. In the next two to five years, what? Have you seen, heard that is going to revolutionize the, the field, change the field? Well, is there anything out there so coming I feel that, like a, that you like? 
I feel like I'm an old dinosaur at this stage of the game, but it's virtual medicine. People don't want to go into the office. They, they don't want to be inconvenienced. They want people remotely. So the big advance now is virtual medicine. You don't, you're seen, you Skype someone, you videotape yourself, you do FaceTime to be seen. Um, of course, if it's something serious, you'll still have to physically go see somebody. But most patients do not want to come in. So it's the convenience of the advice is definitely what's going to happen. So you're going to send in your blood work and so forth and so on. Yeah, you're go, not, you, go somewhere I, and get the blood already, work and send it in. And then we have mostly, we have now, um, you know, emails. You know, patients can email us. Then only can they call, they email us. So I get more emails than phone calls now. And they're sending pictures. They want you to diagnose them based on email. Of course, there's many things I absolutely cannot do. And I tell them I can't do that. But people don't want to be inconvenienced anymore. Just like you go Amazon, you, you, you order everything. That's what they want. So, if, they, so if, they could order, if they could order medications through Amazon, they would. They don't want to be seen. They don't want to be inconvenienced. They want to wake up and say, oh, my throat hurts. I need penicillin. And they want you to just call it in. They don't want to be seen. So what, so what is coming is... It's virtual medicine. Virtual medicine. And virtual medicine is... You speak to someone, you email them. You know, they have now talk, what is it, talk space where you do therapy through texting. If people can text me for all the medical stuff, don't you think they would do it? Of course they would. They don't want to be inconvenienced. So what's really happening is there's, there's a huge virtual medicine coming. People already use it for minor things. Mm -hmm. But if you could honestly do serious things, they wouldn't show up. They would not do an office visit at all. They would specifically want to send you a picture via email. They want to Skype you. They mm. want you to diagnose them so they can not be bothered. They want you to send them the medication. Most of our medication is now remote, so we don't write scripts anymore. You don't have to come in for a script. We send it directly to the pharmacy. Yes. They don't want to be inconvenienced. So that really is what's happening, is virtual medicine. So we are like dining. We are the dinosaurs. Well, it is such a pleasure to sit down today talk with you. I've learned so very much about effective communication in your field and what you have done and, and uh, it is like a lot of your uh, followers, fans comment on your communication to them and they love you for it. I want to say thank you so very, very much, Dr. Thank you, Joan Jerry. Stroud. Thank you so it's much for inviting me. It really has been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Hey there, Moving Your Energy Differently community. If you feel you've got some practical insights and achievement strategies from listening to this podcast, I would be over-the-top grateful if you would go to my Twitter handle, at Carrie Ruff, and leave a comment. I thank you so very much. You have made my day, uh, my year. <laughs> thank you very much.